Good morning. This is Tommy Ray, and we're in episode 67 of Water Rights, Laws, Guns, and Money. Today is February 22nd. We're very fortunate to have Evan Jeffries rejoin us. We had to break last time because he had other things to do. So anyway, Evan, thank you for being here, and uh, welcome back. Thanks for having me back, Tom. Well, we're, we're going to talk water again, and we'll go from there and continue this conversation. Let's go back to, to water a little bit. And we all know that Colorado's water short, particularly the Colorado River water, but we're on the front range portion of that. Evan has some ideas about how ranchers can save water. I did talk recently to... Actually, he's a state senator who has an operation of a ranch, farm, ranch, raises hay in the San Luis Valley. And he is trying to conserve his water there by not growing water-intensive alfalfa. In fact, I think he said of his 800-acre ranch he is converting 80 acres from alfalfa to hemp to grow, to get the fiber out of it. I don't know what fiber is used for, but it's interesting. And he said that's a lot less water intensive. So the, the question then comes up for him and probably for you, if he saves water, what good does that do to the rest of us? Because that water just goes on downstream to the next farmer. And that's, to me, a problem. And I have been talking to several legislators about, hey, if if a farmer is able to save water, he should be able to sell that saved water. I don't think there's a mechanism to do that. But but you have talked to me in the past about piping water, that sort of thing. How would that save water? What's, What's your thoughts on that? So we actually have a couple projects going on now that we're currently... One we were supposed to build out last year, but uh, as everybody knows, the, the post-COVID problems with product ac- acquisition, piping, things like that was very difficult. So we actually couldn't even get the piping we needed. Uh, but it basically, we, we actually utilized some grant programs through NRCS. to They're willing to fund some of these water resource projects up to 75% to take normal flood irrigation, which is typically 90% inefficient and move that into piping or pivot uh, irrigation, which then, to your point, saves water, but then that water goes to somebody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, know, It's return flows, and those return flows go to somebody else. Correct, yes. I mean, but, the, the big problem we had with with the the flood irrigation was a lot of our loss is, down to, is to leak down and evaporation. So it's interesting the point you brought up, because if we throw it into a pipe, we, we probably really don't need that one CFS anymore. I can't utilize that. I can't convert that into the hay, uh, but also I'm not losing as much either. Yeah. In other words, you might be able, if you piped it, you might be able to get by with a half of CFS or something. Absolutely. Something less. Right. Well, it it's really complicated and I, and I want to... I, I want to continue talking not only to you, but to other farmers about how they save water. I truly believe that farmers are interested in saving water. They are. Yeah. I, I went to a meeting a couple of weeks ago in Sterling, and they were talking about the next spring's 
soil moisture content. And the way to keep that up was not to harvest the crops all the way down to the soil. In other words, leave a foot of stubble. And that helps keep the snow in place so that it can seep into the ground rather than evaporate or be blown away. So That's an interesting point. That is actually factual. So cutting hay, um, I was taught years ago by my uncle, the number one thing he taught me was you don't cut as low as possible. If you cut as low as possible, you get as much hay as you possibly can, right? You might go from 1,000 to 1,200 bales for the year, but you're not setting your future years up for success because you always want to leave about six inches. Really? It looks like you're leaving money in the field, but what you're doing is you're setting yourself up for the drought years and that moisture retention. That moisture contact. Yeah, it's interesting to hear that concept. Other people that that put up hay around me, they'll cut down to the biggest stubble because they want as many bales as they can. But what happens is their production goes down over the years. And the guy that made that presentation was a CSU agricultural agent out far east. And after he made his presentation, I jumped up and went outside to talk to him so we wouldn't interfere with everybody else and said, this is the greatest talk I've heard. And it, and it was, he was very informative, very knowledgeable about that sort of stuff. I'd never thought about it. There are ways that farmers can save their water. I'm reluctant to talk to too many farmers about my thoughts on, uh, as you know, agriculture consumes 85% of the water in the state, which is fine. The great thing about water rights and what has always caught my attention is it's historically based. In the 1870s, I think the railroad came to to Cheyenne and then turned south into Denver. I think the date was 1869 that it actually hit Denver. And so that brought in a lot of people. And at that time, agriculture was essentially the only industry. And so they needed lots of water, and they went out there and claimed it under the prior appropriation system. And they've still got it, send it down to their heirs, and they have legal right to that water. And they should have. I'm not arguing that. All I'm arguing is that the state in this Colorado State Water Plan, they keep touting and emphasizing that we have to leave water in agriculture, that we should do all we can to protect agriculture. From my point of view, 85% used in agriculture, if, say, over the next 100 years, we encouraged farmers to sell their water to cities, say, sell 15% of it over 100 years, You've doubled the city's water supplies because they presently have roughly 15% of it. Right. Right. And the farmers still have 70%. I just hate to see the state bend over backwards to keep water in agriculture. I think some of that water should come out of agriculture. Bob Cicada, Cicada Farms in Brighton, do you know who he is? I've heard the name, yes. Okay. Well, I think... I think it's actually Robert Cicada, the son of Bob Cicada. Bob Cicada, I think, died a couple of years ago. And Bob Cicada came to to Colorado when they moved all the Japanese out of California and put them in internment camps. Ah, A lot of them stayed, and Bob Cicada stayed, and 
created this tremendous. Anyway, Robert Sakata, the junior, said he's getting out of the vegetable growing business because he can't find affordable housing for mm-hmm. his workers. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess you don't need that many workers to harvest, say, alfalfa or something. You just, agriculture is very complicated. Our lives are complicated. We try to do the best we can. And I, I, I just know that all farmers are very tuned in to what their water right is really worth because they all see the handwriting on the wall that one of these days they're going to be as old as I am <laughs> and, are, and are going to have to think about retiring. And maybe they should be selling their water rights, particularly if they don't have children. That And, and a lot of children are farmers. And it's a hard life, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of that dropping off. Um, it's uh, it's very interesting, the, the you know, moving 15% over to the municipalities. I think it's totally doable. Particularly over a long period of time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Overnight, and of course, that's not going to work. Right. But you know, some of the things that have to change is, I think, how people are farming. And, you know, there's been, over the last 30, 40 years, there's been some shifts to be more efficient. But, you know, there's some of the regenerative farming practices use far less water and produce more. Yes. So about using the water more efficiently, we should be able to produce way more. But we're so stuck in these cycles that you people have to break out of the, the, the single crop cycle, if you will. If you get into multi-crop cycle or regenerative-based farming, your water becomes so much more efficient and you become way more profitable. The big problem with farmers is, as you just stated, there's no money in it. That's why the kids aren't sticking around. Yeah, 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 you yeah. Know? But yeah. There's some people that across the U.S. that have really done it successfully, and they're using a fraction of the water that they're probably allocated. So then you could take that and move it over here and win-win. Might be one way. Who knows? But people have to embrace it, too. Absolutely. Yeah. Right now, I mean, I've been associated with the water business for 30 years. Little by little, I've learned, and that's, again, kind of my theme of this podcast is little by little, we're going to explain it. You're not going to learn it all in one big gulp. You got to take it little by little. Evan, it really is. It's it's just fun talking to you because I've never been involved. I came, grew up in West Texas, and my father had a filling station, and I pumped a lot of gas, but... You know, I would go out and play cowboy every once in a while to help round up the sheep or something, but I know nothing about agriculture. Past six months, there has been more news articles on water than I've seen in my entire career. You know, national news articles, they're all looking at this Colorado River thing. And the Colorado River thing is interesting because, as you know, in southwest Arizona near Yuma, And in what's called the Imperial Valley in California, they use gobs and gobs of that Colorado River water. One of the reasons they're able to use so much water is because they have several growing cycles. And the only reason they have those growing cycles is because they've got those two huge buckets called Lake Powell Mm -hmm. and Lake Mead up above them. And so when they need water, they just call for it. Poor Colorado, Wyoming, let's see, who's who's the other? Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, and New Mexico, the, they can't access that water out of the bucket. They're totally dependent on what happens 
this winter. If we don't get a big snowfall, they're not going to have very much water. But below states, these lower basin states, particularly California and Arizona, hell, they don't care if we didn't get much water this year because they got it all stored right. in Lake Mill and Lake Powell. Mm-hmm. So that brings up, uh, and I have to dig back in the history to know this. So the federal government, I think, created and built at taxpayer expense Lake Mead and Lake Powell. And those farmers in the Imperial Valley and Arizona benefited hugely from that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so do those farmers owe us anything? That's an interesting concept. You would think there would almost have to be a tariff on the water to pay that back. You'd think so. And I think there is a tariff of like $56 an acre foot. Okay. A big tariff. Yeah. Right. yeah. Oh, <laughs> 56 an acre foot. Right, right. My God. And then, and then the other thing, um, Evan, you may not know, but I have learned that particularly in Arizona, and I, of course, I, I can say anything on this podcast because I don't have a boss that's, <laughs> that's going to dock me. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> I, it's not a bad thing at all. I don't have a government agency that I got to protect. And so I'm going to just flat out say, Listeners, if you've got any property in Arizona, my advice to you is get the hell out now because Arizona is driving toward a cliff, a water cliff, and it's going to fall off because they're allowing, and this makes my blood boil, they're allowing, they allow these Middle Eastern firms to come over and buy up 40,000 acres and drill down into their aquifers and these aquifers do not recharge and they are unregulated and they're pumping the hell out of that and growing alfalfa like crazy hmm. 40,000 acres of alfalfa cutting it shipping it to Saudi Arabia for their dairy farms Saudi Arabia has a law that says you cannot use our groundwater to grow alfalfa in Saudi Arabia hmm. Arizona is essentially allowing Saudi Arabia to ship that desert water to Saudi Arabia. That needs to stop immediately. But it's not the only place in Arizona they do have some Colorado, uh, some groundwater regulation, but it's only under the cities of Tucson and Phoenix to regulate those. Tucson and Phoenix now are going to have to start going 100 miles or more to get water out of these aquifers, which folks in Phoenix, it ain't going to be there. Right. Wow. That is nonsense. I mean, here in Colorado, the Denver Basin aquifers, you know, when they first hit those in the 1950s or 60s at Parker and Castle Rock, they were... Artesian. There was so much water. Well, after thousands and thousands, and now the water levels in those are dropping 30 foot a year, and and they're trying to shut that off. So Arizonans, you know, do something. Right. You'd have to. I'd be be living if I lived there. (laughs) Oh, I would be too. It's it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So uh, water is so interesting. Um, 
Evan, and you're interesting. You're, I appreciate it. Well, that, you yeah. are. I mean, here you are, a firefighter. You've got this thing going on the side. You just work from sun up to sundown and and you're keeping it going. And I wish you the best of luck from the butcher's hook. That's butcher's, right. Yeah, yeah butcher's. You nailed it. So. Okay. <laughs> Good. What What else can we think? Can you think about that you would like to discuss on water, particularly as it relates to agriculture and, and cities' use? You know, not a lot else. The interesting part, I mean, it's it's phenomenal to talk to you about this, and it it spurs me, uh, you know, having listened to your podcast. I, I find very few people that I can actually hold a conversation with about this when it comes to water rights. And it's not something I went to school for. It was something obviously just a, a byproduct of, of, you know, ranching, but it's interested me uh, at great lengths. And I find very few people that are truly educated about it. So I appreciate your podcast to hopefully start to educate more people. And, you know, I can't say getting people involved changes much, but an educated mind is much more apt to make a good decision. Yeah. Yeah. Evan, thank you for those kind words. I hope others feel the same way you do. Anyway, uh, I think this is a good place to stop. I always end my podcast. I, I love the sound of a gentle mountain stream. So I go and sit by my gentle mountain stream to relax and come join me and we'll see you next time.